Welcome everybody to episode 129 of the Metabilis 2 podcast featuring myself, Ben, and David. And we owe our listeners and the University of Central Lancashire a big apology. We do. Uh, our listener, Tom Turlow, tweeted to us that, uh, quote, You kept saying the remake of Mission to the Unknown was done by the University of Lancaster. It wasn't. It was done by University of Central Lancashire. UC Lan is my former alma mater, so it'd be nice if the right place got the credit it deserved. And yes, it would be. And thank you to Tom for bringing that to our attention. And a big apology to the University of Central Lancashire, Andrew Ireland, and his entire team that remounted Mission to the Unknown. Yeah, and we promise promise never to misidentify an English university ever again and <laughs> unreservedly apologize. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we won't happen again. Just make some more Doctor Who reconstructions. And I only wish that we had caught it sooner. So thank you and our apologies. Yeah. And I'm no good at catching these kind of things. David is usually excellent at catching these things and he didn't. Um, so it's his fault. I... Drop the ball and completely. <laughs> oh, well. Um, won't happen again. We promise. <laughs> I did look at a map. They are about 15, 16 miles apart. Yeah. So I I can understand why there would be some uh, inter-college inter <laughs> rivalry. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. So yep. have you been up in that area? It's a little, what, north of Manchester? Uh, not for about 30 years. Um, okay. Which uh, probably accounts for my confusion. Um, I think when I used to go up there, there was only one. And now there are more than one. So mm. it's, yeah, there you go. Well, don't know that for a fact, though. We no, don't go that for No, no, no. That, I could be, again, 30 years ago. I haven't lived in Britain for about 17 years. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to be uh, corrected mm -hmm. at, any, at any instance um, when I misidentify people. If any representative of the University of Central Lancashire would like to come on the podcast and educate us, since they're a teaching institution on their university and what they do, that would be more than welcome. We'd love to have them on our podcast. Please do that. <laughs> take this opportunity. Take this. It's free publicity. You'll get. You'll publicize your university to four or five people across the world. Um, we have one list. Six, six or seven, eight, eight, maybe even ten. Maybe even ten people. No, mm. please do that. Uh, good. Right, let's crack on with the podcast. Okay, so Spooky Doctor Who is this month's theme. Spooky Who. And uh, how do you want to go about this? Should we uh, pitch spooky stories? or should We, we kind of gave a over rundown of the difference yeah, between spooky well, was, and scary. Spooky and scary. Well, I was really... Um, and then I think we, we, all, we started talking about uncanny as well, didn't we? Or was I just imagining yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you were saying a lot of the... CSO type work is more uncanny than unnerving, I think is the word you were using. Unnerving. And I think I gave the example of the, um, I could forget their names again, um, the uh, uh, the people who get attacked by devil dolls in Terror of the Ortons and their kitchen. Um, the Farrells, the Farrells' kitchen is patently not real. Um, and it's not even like a model. It's just a picture of a kitchen. Mm -hmm. which I just find scary and and um and interesting. I I though actually what I wanted to start with um with was I think a co interesting comment to me that you made David when you were saying that um you really had a trouble finding classic who 
unnerving, scary, uncanny, creepy in any measure because you like it so much. The stuff I like, I really like, and it's my comfort area. It's where I where I retreat when I want to have that warm, fuzzy blanket feeling of watching something familiar. I tried to think back, really, was it ever really creepy or spooky for me? And I don't think it was. It was, like you said, my eyes were glued to the screen. It was captivating. It was engaging. It was didn't want to miss a moment of it. It wasn't uh, terrifying or spooky. Not even not even your, your Hinchcliffe era kind of terrifying spookiness? Well, no, because I was watching yeah. at about 12 years old when I first... Okay started seeing that in early 1980s and it was more this is really cool this is what uh this is <laughs> for me it was like this is what was like star wars every evening at uh, 5 five thirty, watching some science fiction and it was pretty cool are, are you i mean are you a person who enjoys like creepy scary things in general hmm, no i don't or are like, you not really a creepy scary mm-mm. thing person at all Mm-mm. i i not at all i do not like horror movies or spooks huh. or frights or anything like that and it always kind of boggled my mind that uh, the hinchcliffe holmes era is described as horror and to me it's not very horrific there's it's 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 really good storytelling it's captivating it's right. uh, maybe that's just my lack of uh, uh film references to hammer but for me, it's just not, it's not horror. It's just Doctor Who. It's the way Doctor Who should be. So so, so if I was to ask yes. you, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interview David time. Um, if, if, I, if I was to ask you, like, give me your top five scariest horror movies, you would go, I don't like horror movies. I, I would say I don't really know any. I think the one that really stuck don't with really me know. when I was in the 80s was and it's only yeah. one scene it was is it the hitcher or the hitchhiker about oh the this? hitcher with rutger Hauer, yeah yeah so that was um i just didn't find it a pleasant viewing experience and right I, I think there was a scene where he was trying to draw and quarter oh uh, yeah someone with a yeah. semi so I, that was kind of disconcerting. Uh, thomas c howe's girlfriend i think was being um torn apart yeah. um I, 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 I don't think she actually does get torn apart in the end i think yes, i i think i left okay. my friends it's a good movie okay. i think i left my friend's house when that was going on it just wasn't <laughs> wasn't for me right. uh let's see other never liked the nightmare on elm street franchises never got right. into like the shining poltergeist the omen none of those really did it for me and i think the only movies that i really liked even remotely in that genre would be alien and aliens which are more sci-fi sci-fi and more of the scares rather than horror the horror Hmm. i guess there's body horror in alien in the alien franchise that's patently body horror yeah when you know when um when the alien jumps out of the war doctor's chest <laughs> etc that is interesting that is yes. interesting so, so possibly you're not you're not the right person to talk about horror in or, or ghostliness in doctor who at all i may not be i think this yeah, is a good place to me to hang up my podcasting spurs after <laughs> <laughs> blowing blowing university of lancashire and uh <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, I was telling Rita when, geez, our uh, Terrence Sticks podcast was well received, and maybe we should just end it right here, go out on a high, and then the very <laughs> next episode. 
So, but I know, or I think I know for a fact that you are an uh, aficionado of horror in spooky movies. I do you like tend spooky. to like those. I do like spooky movies. Um, I mean, I'm obviously like anyone who likes a particular thing. I'm, you know, I'm an awful snob, and you know, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of slasher movies. I don't like the whole Friday the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, genre that much I find that kind of very um, uh, what's the word uh, standardized kind of horror movie you know where there's you know there's certain things that happen the kind of ritualistic movies mm-hmm. um, to be not very satisfying um, obviously I'm also like you know I'm a movie snob in general so I like you know well-made movies uh, mm-hmm. So I would say that you know something like The Shining, which is not only a great horror movie, it's also a, a very good movie in general. I think is mm-hmm. is you know is a very satisfying watch. I like the kind of folk horror genre, which has had a resurgence in 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 recent years. Um, Midsummer being probably the most recent one. Midsummer or The Witch. Uh, those kind of movies, of course, you know, the triumvirate of British folk horror movies being uh, Witchfinder General and uh, The Wicker Man and The Blood on Satan's Claw. A Blood on Satan's Claw, of course, in, has um, not only um, uh, Debbie Watling in it, but also um, Anthony Ainley, as far as I remember. But, I mean, a movie like A Field in England, which is another kind of folk horror, but kind of a really more of like an uncanny movie. Or Kill List. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ben Wheatley, who made A Field in England and Kill List, who was, of course, a director of Doctor Who um, during the Capaldi era. And, of course, uh, we, uh, we we saw him interviewed um, when we were at Gallifrey right. One uh, uh, this year. So there's a whole lot of kind of, you know, there's it's, it's, it's uh, the kind of creepy horror movie genre is a very, very wide one. Mm-hmm. And I think very often people uh, categorize it really in the kind of slasher, the kind of supernatural slasher genre, you know, the unstoppable, you know, Freddy Krueger, Krueger with a knife thing. genre, yeah, okay. which is actually for me is Jason. the, yeah, is the kind of the least satisfying of all the genres. Um, there's one very interesting film which, you know, I could maybe recommend to... Now, uh, be, be, yeah. mm-hmm. Before you go, yeah. go on to that, do you think that is a difference between American horror movies geared towards teens, sort of the drive-in movie or the Friday night, Saturday night date slasher movie that's generally marketed towards teenagers, yeah. and then maybe more a general uh, story-based uh uh, horror film like like mentioned The Shining or Wicker Man or something. Yeah, like no, that. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think you're right, and I think it was. I think it's interesting that when The Wicker Man was released in the states, um, it was released as a kind of drive-in horror movie. It was actually released as a double bill with Don't Look Now, which is a Nick Rogue movie, which again is not really. It's not an American style horror movie. Um and I think mm-hmm. both of those movies kind of bombed originally in the States because they were just released to the wrong audience. Uh, I mean I just watched uh, with my daughter, we just watched Rosemary's Baby the other night, which <laughs> is I think an interesting conflation of both of those things. Rosemary's Baby, which was from a novel by Ira Levin, who's one of the kind of great suspense writers, great American suspense writers was originally optioned as a movie by a man called William Castle, who was one of the kind of drive-in schlock 
meisters, as I understand, of kind of, you know, American American trash cinema. Uh, mm-hmm. And he sort of almost by accident hired Roman Polanski to direct it. And so it's, in, it's and sort of, you know, Roman Polanski was called brought a a European kind of paranoid uh, sensibility to the movie, and which, again, kind of makes it a very interesting watch because it's a conflation of those two things. Um, one movie I was going to reference, there's a movie called Funny Games, which is made by this Austrian auteur called Michael Haneke, mm-hmm. who a, a lot of people don't care for that much. He's a contemporary movie maker. Um, a lot of people don't care for him because he's very serious and... Uh, moralistic um, and his movie Funny Games is the kind of anti-slasher movie it's a really very 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 hard movie to watch it has the kind of construction of an American home invasion aimed at teens drive-in slasher film um, and right. he, he kind of inverts that in a way that um, makes it into a real experience it's a very interesting film and um, kind of worth a worth a look um, so yeah, no, I'm 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 interested in in the genre in general. So with new newer Who, twenty first century Who, has there been yeah uh, good examples of more of the plot driven horror rather than slasher horror? Well, I mean, I think I think we touched on Weeping Angels last time we were talking about this, and I actually, you know, my my opinion is I think the Weeping Angels have been. Um, kind of uh, spiked a little bit by the repetition. And I think it's very interesting. And and again, we may be repeating ourselves, you know, the Weeping Angels start out in Blink. um, And that's the kind of alien of Weeping Angels. And then they return in... um, Flesh and Stone. Time of the Angels, Flesh and Stone. Which is kind of the aliens of Weeping Angels. And it's even kind of signified that it's the aliens of Weeping Angels because there's a military element to it, which is... (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and spaceships. And and it goes, wow, yeah, this is is basically the Weeping Angels aliens. Um, And then like the Aliens franchise, it then just kind of starts to fall apart by having too many of them and too much of it and you know, not enough thought, which is a, a kind of kind of interesting. Um, the two the two that I've been thinking about this week from kind of new who one is uh, Doctor Dances and you know uh, Are You My Mummy? Empty Child. Empty, Empty Child. Child. You know which the the kind of cliffhanger ending of the Empty Child, where uh, you know everyone's faces are you know turning into these gas masks. You know, it's a real great body horror moment. And you can see why someone like Ben Wheatley, you know, was attracted to directing New Who with that kind of body horror element to it. Mm-hmm. And of course, body horror in general, um, because Doctor Who, I think in general, because it, you know, it needs to save money at regular intervals, certainly in the classic series and in the and in New Who as well, you know, there is a lot of... There are a lot of aliens that take on the appearance of humans. Right. Because it's cheaper, yep. obviously, you know, rather than having something run around in a, in a rubber costume. Um, they, it's also you know... very 1950s sci-fi. Exactly, exactly. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people's bodies being changed into alien bodies and back again, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a kind of a standard kind of body horror thing. And, of course, you know, your classic example of that, which, of course, you know, for... Maybe for contemporary audience is kind of laughable, but I'm still for someone like me. It's like, well, yeah, this is kind of horrific. Is Ark in Space, mm-hmm. where you know, the pain of being changed from within into an alien is made very, very real by the performances, if not by the makeup. 
to such an extent, as we understand, you know, part of that show was actually cut for being just, you know, for that pain being too obvious, for that pain being too well right, acted right. by by Noah. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up Wheatley because Wheatley's two episodes that he directed for Doctor Who, Deep Breath and Into the Dalek, really, I guess Deep Breath has some horror elements with the uh, the the clockwork uh, droid type right, uh, right. things. But Into the Dalek is more more of a more of a thriller than horror i guess i would if i had to do a broad categorization of that well i think i mean i mean just to just to interrupt on that for a second i mean i think one of the interesting things about ben wheatley as a director and i'm a huge fan of his he's perhaps a lot more interested in exploring genre than he is being a genre director so he's made Mm -hmm. kind of shoot-em-ups he's made folk horror movies like kill list um, he's made humorous horror movies like Sightseers. Um, right. He's made Doctor Who. He's done a kind of a single camera dogma style family drama, which is, uh, I can't remember the name of that movie, set, set over New Year's Eve. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's currently shooting a remake of Rebecca, the Daphne du Maurier um, kind of psychological thriller. And he has just been announced that he'll be making Tomb Raider 2. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, and I, I think, again, I mean, I follow him on Instagram and Twitter and all, all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. what he's been saying about Tomb Raider is like, yes, great. I get to make a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, let's yeah, let's yeah. let's see how that goes. You know, so by I think his by his terms, by too. his that's, terms. That's, so, I mean, I think that's he's, the cool he, thing about Wheatley is. Yeah, sets, sets exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, I think when you if, if someone if if he was being hired to direct Doctor Who in the expectation, he'd make sort of a a psychedelic Doctor Who like A Field in England or a kind of horror Doctor Who like uh, like Kill List, I think they were getting it wrong because what he was interested in making is Doctor Who and exploring right. the genre of Doctor Who. And I think, you know, by this point, after kind of 50, 60 years worth of, you know, almost 60 years worth of activity, you know, Doctor Who probably is its own genre at this point and you can mm-hmm. kind of play with that. So Yeah, and I think he said more or less that he wasn't there to put his own mark on that. He was there to direct and follow yeah. Moffat's vision. And yeah, he was there he, to do a job. Right, right. It wasn't that like he would do with his motion pictures where he and his you know his wife would write the scripts and then he would direct it and produce it and it would be their, their vision and with uh, Doctor Who. He was there to be be the director and deliver what Moffat wanted. Yeah, so I mean that's why you know that's why he's an interesting director because he realizes that when you're hired to direct Doctor Who, what you're hired to do is direct what the writer and producer want you to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is kind of its own genre, and another horror genre director that Moffat brought in to direct his scripts, especially, was Rachel Talloway. You know, she of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Yeah. And she was very good at capturing and delivering within that genre of Doctor Who, Moffat's vision. Yeah, you know, which is also... Again, I I can't really talk about the the Nightmare on Elm Street. Or the, right. It's not, it's not a genre of kind of horror that I'm particularly interested in. So I've not seen what mm-hmm. she's done. Um, and I'm sure it's great. But again, I mean, I one would have thought she, you know, she's hired to direct Doctor Who to do a good job at directing something rather than like make a horror thing. Right. Well, Talalay's horror is more, like you said, the genre of horror that you aren't particularly fond of. But I think she was hired specifically to uh, deliver uh, 
especially like within Heaven Sent, to deliver that aspect of the scares, right? And the, and the, right. Uh, and, and the and to do it on a horror budget where she is used to maximizing very or stretching budgets yeah. uh, beyond what they actually have. Yeah. No, I mean Heaven have. Heaven Sent is a very efficient piece of filmmaking. I wouldn't call it scary though. Really, is it? Is this, this is frightening? I don't know. I think it's trying to be scary with the veil. The veil, yeah. And it, uh, it, the, the creeping horror, it's always so. coming. And there's a lot of, with the flies and stuff, I think it's trying to be scary. I think it's trying to be horrific. And uh, I think it achieves the mood very well. But then again, it's, it's Doctor Who. And is Doctor Who really scary anymore? Yeah. and I And again, you know, I mean, I think it's maybe certainly for someone like me, it is scary scarier when it's kind of unintentionally creepy or uncanny rather than when mm-hmm. it's deliberately you know trying to be scary so i mean i was just thinking that probably the most unsettling episode of recent doctor who and it's unsettling because like you really don't know what the hell's going on and even when you finish watching it you don't really know what the hell happened is it takes you away mm. which is like it's one thing it's kind of starts off as kind of scandy noir and then it end. There's there's a kind of like a kind of a descent style, um, ooh, cave monsters part, and then there's like oh it's a frog on a chair, and and then it's over, and it's like and the the whole all the way through. And again, I'm I'm not I, I think everyone knows our views about the recent season, um, and I think the problem its problems kind of plot wise and presentational wise uh, as much as excellent as the as the actors are, that is a a very unsettling piece of television because actually it is completely unlike anything else. Um, And I think that's one of the things that often makes Doctor Who exciting and interesting is is it it, it very often is unlike anything else. Hmm. And I think it's all the way through its long history. It has prided itself in being different. Well, it takes you away, I think, is definitely... Different and yep. it's uh, Takes you away. different in 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 the tone of all of series eleven too. It's really a departure for what it's going in, and it, it would almost fit within perhaps Moffat's fairy tale storybook earlier seasons, like of series five or series six, where he's trying to be more the fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where you have people turning into autons and then back into people and that that whole bit or with the dream lord or something like that yeah yeah and i think um you know of all of the the most recent season you know that's that's the that's the episode that i think could have been directed by someone like ben wheatley because it's you know it's it doesn't the tone is so wildly inconsistent um that one can Mm -hmm. only imagine though of course that one might be wrong one can only imagine that it's deliberate that Hmm. you don't really know how you should feel about any particular point at any particular point during the episode whereas something like heaven sent you know exactly how you're supposed to feel like all the way through um the the control Mm -hmm. of the material and the direction really you know you 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 understand what feelings you're supposed to have at at any particular point mm-hmm. during the drama something like it takes you away there's there's you're completely it's completely ungrounded in in anything really in any kind of mm-hmm. storytelling or in any kind of genre um it's completely unlike anything else 
which in some ways is a good thing. I mean, in other ways, it's a bad thing. Um, uh, but you know, when you when you think back on it, and I've not I've not rewatched it since I saw it because I didn't really care for it that much. But you know, at some point, I will be buying season eleven on DVD, and I will be rewatching it again. And I and I and I think I'm interested to feel what my reactions will be to an mm. episode like that. So I'm thinking back to the Doctor Who of the last ten years or so. And the story that I'm wondering about your opinion on is the God complex, which has similar kind of unsettling bits. Why are they in this strange hotel and what's going on with people as they you know, praise him and then die? Right, right. And I mean, that to me is classic horror, but it's... It's some people's very favorite Matt Smith story because of uh, it's very well done and has good characters. You know, where where are you on that? I think my, with my challenge with that kind of that one, that kind of uh, style of storytelling is that it's all explained. I think one of the things that I, I I kind of I think I enjoyed about it takes you away is that it's not really explained. In fact, even the explanation that's given is not a an explanation that makes any sense. Um, the God complex, you know, it is kind of rationalised away at the end. And I think this is one of the challenges of a show like Doctor Who is, like the Doctor says, um, plagiarising Arthur C. Clarke, you know, any technology suitably advanced, etc., etc., is indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always explained away at the end of Doctor Who. There's always an explanation for what's happened. Um, that explanation is always grounded in, you know, aliens are trying a plan of some kind. <laughs> Um, right. And so, you know, you, you rewind all the way back to something like The Land of Fiction um, and The Mind Robber, which is, you know, deeply uncanny and weird ride from the very beginning, even down to, in fact, it's got five episodes rather than the regular four. <laughs> At the very end, it's like, oh, no, it's like an alien and he's trying to invade Earth. We must stop right. him, which right. kind of negates all the weirdness that's happened beforehand. I think I think where the most effective kind of creepy, scary, uncanny Doctor Who is where that explanation that has to happen at the end is, you know, fudged to such an extent or tacked on to such an extent that it kind of fails. I mean, it, I always feel that about Underworld, which I'm a big fan of, um, right. because the costume design and just the weirdness of the CSO caves is not really explained away by the plot. It's it's just weird and odd all the way through to such an extent that, you know, as I said, the explanation doesn't really work, doesn't make a lot of sense because it said, well, that hang, hang on, like that doesn't make, you know, the planet there inside, you know, looks like a photograph. So how does that work? <laughs> it seems like uh, CSO, uh, you're not a fan yeah. of CSO. Oh, well, no, I am a fan of CSO. It's just, a, I, I, I think it's great, but I think it adds to... You know, it adds to a weirdness hmm. of some mm-hmm. Doctor Who stories, which, which, is why, which is why I like Underworld, because mm-hmm. it makes it a lot weirder. If they'd shot it in Wookiee Hole, <laughs> as I'm sure they would have loved to have done right, at the time, right. it would have been, oh, yeah, they're just running around some caves. All right, that makes sense. It's like, you know, it's this is Voga. You know, it's like um, right. this is Revenge of the Cybermen right. or something, isn't it? But the fact that they're running around in front of some giant photographs makes it makes it fun, more fun and more interesting hmm. in some ways. So you think the soul attract of It Takes You Away would have been more effective if they had done, instead of the billowy tent that a Whitaker doctor goes in and meets the talking frog, would have been better if it was CSO or the anti-zone was all CSO? I think, I think two things. I think one of which it was genius to have the talking frog 
as A, not a real frog, and B, not a computer-generated frog, but C, a very, very unconvincing animatronic frog. That was perfect. Um, perfect how, though? Per- perfect in sort of like unnecessarily weird. Un- unnecessarily weird. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, okay. And I think the fact that they'd sort of, I presumably run out of money at that point. And, oh, we'll just put the frog on a chair and we'll just have some curtains blowing around it. Again, makes it kind of interestingly weird. I mean, I think it would have been even better if they just had some photographs of curtains. Um, billowing about. I mean, I mean, I love those scarves. I mean, the attack of the evil scarves in um, <laughs> Ghost Monument. In Ghost Monument, it's like wow, this, like that's they're the least frightening yet also strangely Doctor Who appropriate um, right. threats that has ever happened on Doctor mm-hmm. Who. I mean, they're like the they're like the um, you know the slight incline of unreasonable peril. <laughs> Um, in the five doctors, you know, which Sarah has to roll down. Ah, I'm right. rolling down a hill. You know, I'm being attacked by some scarves. It's yeah. Doctor Who, of course, I'm being yeah. attacked by scarves. Uh, and they're just scarves, so I'll just bat them away and they've gone. Mm-hmm. They're like moths, you know, which again, of course, takes you back to it, takes you yeah. away, which is features some moths that could have been really creepy and horrible and kind of Hinchcliffe, and they could have been flesh eating moths, and they could have actually eaten someone's flesh like down to the bone and there would be blood and stuff, but they didn't really do that. They didn't show that. You know, it was only, no, it was implied. It, didn't really, it was implied. It was implied, but it never really sort of happened in a way that was exciting. <laughs> um, you know, or the moths could have, could have, you know, they could have gotten out of the Kevin Eldon dark dimension and escaped into the real world. And they would have had to like, Oh no, Norway's being attacked by flesh eating moths, which would have been great. I would have enjoyed that hugely, but they just kind of, no, we'll just do the frog now. So, I'm wondering then if if the point that you mentioned that the doctor always explains or it is always explained by silence or aliens or something, that explanation ultimately undermines any kind of horror in Doctor Who or that the, the spookiness because we know that there's a yeah. rational explanation behind it. Yeah, and it does because, you know, it's a kid's show and the, the good, good prevails. I mean, there are very few Doctor Who episodes where you know everyone's dead and the doctor has failed i mean there are a number where you know, everyone's dead mm-hmm. um, but the doctor still and his companion still end up defeating the enemy but there are i think i think there are any where the doctor doesn't defeat the enemy and everyone is dead so you know you have to wrap it up neatly mm-hmm. i mean i think it's the wrapping up which is exciting um and i think it's the wrapping up that is the challenge because it's got to be wrapped up in an exciting and satisfying way maybe that's where Um, sleep no more fails ultimately then because the wrapping up isn't very satisfying and it's kind of left gatus kind of leaves it in a cliffhanger let this uh sandman is going throughout the galaxy and it's never been yeah yeah i mean gatus is always trying to write horror whether it be from the uh unquiet dead to the crimson horror to sleep no more it seems like that's what he's really trying to grab onto but i think he loves the genre so much that he isn't able to deliver on truly horrific and then it's compounded by the doctor who need of explaining away or rationalizing what just happened yeah and i think you know it's and, it, and again i think we've said this before it's 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 hard to criticize people who write this kind of material for a living because i can't do it all i can say is like i don't think they did it very well and i'm not implying that i could do it better i'm just saying it has been done better and i think um if you look to some some of the great almost nihilistic 
uh, horror scare stories of the Hinchcliffe era, you know, something like Pyramids of Mars, which has some truly horrific moments. I mean, I think, again, I quoted when um, the the zombie Marcus Scarman comes down the staircase and puts his hands on Nemin's shoulders and I am the service of Sudeke, Sude, mm-hmm. he needs no other. You know, it's a, it's a really kind of horrible, horrible moment. And yeah. another moment in Pyramids of Mars that I adore again is actually, you know, is in the final episode where the zombie Marcus Scarman, you know, destroys the whatever it is and Sutek is free and he cries out, free, I'm free at last, which is, again, an extraordinary moment because you don't know whether that's Sutek saying, I'm free, I'm free at last, mm. or whether it's actually Marcus Scarman right. saying, I'm free, I'm free at last, and at last I can die. And again, you know, you have a brother who kills his own brother. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of, there's some very satisfying horror moments throughout Pyramids of Mars. It's also then satisfyingly tied up at the end as, okay, we've beaten the villain and everyone's safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I think just to think about in the same era, The Hand of Fear, mm-hmm. which has, you know, three episodes of really satisfying horror and including, including like, you know, contemporary kind of nuclear horror as right. well as, um, you know, Chernobyl style um, nuclear horror. The final episode is they, they don't stick the landing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they can't they can't wrap it up in a way that's satisfying. Yeah. Which also then makes it mm-hmm. kind of weirder in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, then you, if we want to look at Hinchcliffe Holmes, then you could compare that to the earlier, just the season earlier with the Seeds of Doom. And that has all the elements of horror. We have You have body horror. You have this great, incredible alien monster. Yeah. And very much, I mean, you can say this is unlike Doctor Who or like Doctor Who, the solution to the big, horrible monster is to blow it up. It's the unit way. Yeah, which I think I found very satisfying at the time when I was a kid. I find less satisfying now mm-hmm. because, you know, like like with the Silurians, um, well, the, the satisfying piece with the end of the Silurians is that when the Silurians are blown up, the Doctor isn't happy. Right. At the end of the Seeds of Doom, the Doctor is, is just fine, mm-hmm. that, you know, that the crinoid's been blown up. I mean, let's just let's just rewind all the way back to, to the Hartnell era and we can talk about, you know, just reference... The Tenth Planet, right. which has these utterly horrifying villains um, who are, and again, you know, I think Moffat very wisely brought back the original Tenth Planet Cybermen for the finale of season 10 um, <laughs> because there's body horror right there. You know, these are converted humans and not only are they converted humans, they also want to convert us um, because they think that the way that they are is superior. And But they also have these just ridiculous voices mm-hmm. Which makes them sound like Sparky's Magic Piano, mm-hmm. um, which makes them even more horrific because they're creepy and uncanny and wrong. Um, rather, I mean, one, one might imagine the kind of ex, the kind of excellent right. 80s Cybermen is like, well, yeah, okay, that's they're cool. Of, they're cool. They're frightening. They're not creepy and uncanny like right. the 60s Cybermen mm-hmm. at all. Right, and the thing that really sells the Mondasian Cybermen's from the. Uh, world enough in time is the killing of bill right bill yeah. being cyber converted due to missy's uh deliberate or mis- mishap adventure uh trying to be the doctor that sets this whole the whole story in motion for bill to be cybernized and that's the horrific part that she doesn't realize that she's a cyberman until you know she sees herself but she's actually the big scary cyberman 
Yeah, but then they retain those sing-song voices, which is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, in the finale, they locate the kind of action, which is ostensibly inside a giant spaceship, in some hills in Wales, um, you know, which again <laughs> give you this kind of like, wow, hang on, this is supposed to be inside a spaceship. And it's not. It's in a barn in the Brecon Beacons instead. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I think it's again, it's it's sometimes it's the cheap, sometimes it's the cheapness of Doctor Who and the, you know, the necessity to do things on a budget like Underworld that makes it actually more effective in terms of creepiness than uh you know than a hollywood blockbuster is um and me maybe this is just me showing my age but you know it's everyone knows that physical effects are better than than computer generated effects the first terminator movie is better because it's all done real rather than all the subsequent terminator movies because it's all done by computer hmm. and doctor who in general you know in the olden days it's all done real um so it, of course mm-hmm. even though it's bubble wrap it still is a more effective, um, it is still a more effective and creepier and scarier effect. Yeah, I think with the bubble wrap particularly, it isn't until an adult points it out that it's bubble wrap and how silly that is that he's looking at bubble wrap. Do people really think it's bubble wrap? I think as a young viewer, for me, that was entirely cool makeup. His hand is all pussy and pocked and yeah. bubbly with a... Uh, He's turning into a Weirin, and that is pretty horrific. And then with uh, Kenton Moore, just his anguish and his uh, just he sells the horror of what's happening to him as Noah more than more than the makeup. It's the acting that does it. It's not the practical effect. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, where where Doctor Who often wins, I mean, sometimes it often it doesn't win, but where it often wins over other scary, horror, creepy uh, shows is that the acting it can be extremely good it can mm-hmm. also be very bad um, but you know it can be excellent mm-hmm. and uh you know and it comes from a you know british thespian tradition where you know you can really sell some stuff you're on stage and you're you know you're plucking out gloucester's eyes in king lear you've got to sell that even though you know it's just some stage makeup mm. um so i think in i think for you know a certain generation of british actors you're used to really kind of selling stuff yeah i think there's yeah. two things that really uh, struck me as doctor who when i was younger and one of them was that this stuff is filmed on location and the location seemed alien the other bit, right. and that was a big contrast to uh, 1960s Star Trek, which was the uh, kind of rivaled program, sci-fi program on television when I was a kid. Right. And, and so that was more familiar with Star Wars because of uh, things were on location in Star Wars and they had that real world look. The other thing I think that was made it possible for me to make that leap from Star Wars into Doctor Who is there's so many Doctor Who actors or Star Wars actors. Uh, they're pulling from that same British theatrical movie acting tradition for the villains in uh, Star Wars, but for you know, also in Doctor Who. So it, they have that commonality between it. I mean, you have uh, uh, Peter Cushing, who's one of the main villains in the first Star Wars movie. Right. He's a big hammer actor. Yeah, and I think, you know, George Lucas, you know, I mean, not only were all these actors hanging around Pinewood anyway, because that's right. where they all lived, but, you know, I think George Lucas is on record as saying, you know, he liked horror, he liked hammer horror movies, and there's Peter Cushing. Let's, okay, he's a scary-looking guy. And, of course, you know, everyone, everyone knows, you know, the Empire is 
like like a like a regular empire is you know run by British people. Um, so um, <laughs> it's may as well a space <laughs> empire would also be run by British people. Um, apart from mm-hmm. Darth Vader, who's who's obviously an American in this case, right? Um, because he's mm-hmm. sort of the hero as well. But um, yeah, so you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to get all Paul Mars about it and be you're like, ooh, it's all got to be kind of quirky and 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 kind of you know, um, <laughs> strange and ooh. Um, but a lot of the what I think a more contemporary fan would see as the crapness of classic Who, the kind of you know wobbliness and you know CSO ness, bubble wrapness of classic Who. For me, a lot of that is what makes it enjoyable but also makes it what makes it creepy Hmm. because it is in some ways very often so patently an artifice that is people this is people pretending Hmm. that that makes it kind of weirder and odder and more interesting Mm -hmm. so a question i have then for you do you find theater more rewarding than movies Theatre, uh, that's an excellent question. I mean, I, I never go to the theatre. Oh. Um, so, uh, Probably not you know. then. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I used to go to theatre a lot. Um, I find um, it's, it's a, it's, going to theatre is expensive, and mm-hmm. it's also, and this is going to make me sound like, again, an awful snob, but, I mean, I certainly when I lived in London, I used to go and see a lot of Shakespeare, which I really enjoy. Um, I always have a huge problem seeing Shakespeare in the United States because... Well, we put it in parks. Well, the two, I mean, I, I think it's either people are putting on a British accent, which then I can tell they're just putting on a weird mm. accent and it doesn't sound right, mm-hmm. or they're doing it as Americans, which also doesn't sound right. So there's like, a, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to think there. So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I see a lot of movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think probably nowadays I'd say that I prefer movies mm-hmm. um, to plays. I, you know, Seattle isn't a great theater city. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you have the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which I've never been to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I lived in New York or something or Chicago, I'd probably go and see more, mm-hmm. more theater. Mm-hmm. But not, not in Seattle, I wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. For me, I really like theater, and I'm more willing to shell out uh, money for theater tickets than I am to, even for uh, movie tickets, even though they're slightly less expensive. I just prefer the ephemeral experience of the theater rather than right. the movie. And for me, it's sort of like, well, I can always watch this on Blu-ray when I get home in a few weeks or right. a, month, a few months time. And I'd rather do that than go watch it in a movie theater. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I think that's a fair enough comment. I mean, I, I spend so much time on airplanes at the moment. I was thinking, well, I can mm. just, I'll probably see this on the back seat of an airplane mm-hmm. relatively soon. So, but you know, there, I think there are some movies that you really have to go and see in the movie theater because you've got to see them on the, on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get, I mean, I wish I lived in a place where there were some, you know, where you got to see great actors, acting on stage. Right. Um, you know, again, when I lived in London, you see Judy Dench and you know Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins and just great people doing really, really Derek Jacobi, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who can really can act on stage mm-hmm. um you know including i mean I, I guess i saw tom baker do an inspector calls many many years ago um <laughs> when he was on the stage you know and it's just it's just fun to see people who really know how to pretend to be other people really effectively do that live in front of you hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's, uh, I think, one of the reasons I like theater, because I don't effectively know how to be another person. (laughs) 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 And even even at the uh, level of talent that's uh, attracted to the Pacific Northwest theater scene, they certainly are... Uh, far better actors than I am. And I find it an, an enjoyable experience. And I really do like practical effects. I like, uh, you know, the dry ice smoke. And I think there's something magical about allowing yourself to make believe or pretend that even though you know that this is a stage production or this is uh, 1970s Doctor Who production values where it is bubble wrap or it is they are acting against a few curtains in a CSO screen that your mind can allow you to escape into that and I think that's really a credit to the acting and the storytelling and that is something when you rely heavily on effects or computer computers to uh, develop that scene for you, I think acting sometimes becomes a lesser priority. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think even more nowadays when actors are, are you know, almost being replaced by computer-generated characters. Yeah, we were talking about deep fakes the other time that where the actor yeah. isn't so important as what the computer can simulate. And I think that's why I like theater. It's that connection with the live performance, with the actors on the stage. Uh, It's similar to live music. If a band can perform well live, I think they're worth going to hear and listen. But if they are very studio-based or they're very produced and a live experience with that band is pretty clunky or uh, unpleasant evening why go see them why not just pull off their cd or listen listen to their album streaming yeah, yeah. and and so that's it, it it's kind of a similar i think a similar thing that we're losing in many cases uh the ability to do things live and that to me is where the magic is and i think that's where again going back to classic doctor who there's this liveness there's this stage presence of many many of the actors yeah and there's a and there's a realness to what's happening and i think again you know maybe this maybe this can circle back to you know you know my love of an interest in kind of certain genres of, of horror movie you know that there's a you know it's certainly you know something like hammer movies um which i'm a you know i, I always very much enjoy you know because there's a you know, the actors really have to sell the gags because the sets and the costumes and the makeup, etc., isn't giving them as much help as they as they might do. Um, so there's a realness to it. Um, and even if you look at some of, you know, some of the more interesting genre American movies, you know, something like Night of the Living Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, again, you know, the the horror in some of those in those movies are the actors mm-hmm selling you the story rather than the rather than the effects and when movies like this get remade um you know the makeup and the computer effects are so are so polished nowadays is that you know it's like oh yeah it's a zombie i know what that looks like and yeah they're getting chopped up with an axe yeah okay mm. that's fine i know what that looks like now um it's 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 less real it's less real um, even down to you know what we were what we were just talking about you know the practical effect of Alien you know where mm-hmm. when when the alien leaps out of the War Doctor's chest and goes scuttling <laughs> across the floor, Ridley Scott was chucking buckets of pig's blood around to like mm-hmm. scare everybody. You know there wasn't mm. you know, it wasn't that wasn't CGI blood. You know they were really getting splattered with actual blood. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
I think it's more horrific to watch, but it's less real. Yeah. The more real it becomes, the less scarier it is, perhaps. I, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, because I think it maybe it requires less imagination. So you 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 know you're less invested. Hmm. Um, you just you know you're kind of just watching the surface of the whole thing um, rather than really because what makes something horrific is what's happening to the characters. And if you know that it's really not happening to them, um, if they all are just prancing around in front of a green screen that could just as well be The Incredibles as, you know, anything else, then, you know, maybe you have a less, you know, you're less invested in what's happening to them. If you know that, you know, Veronica Cartwright and John Hurt and Ian Holm, etc. are actually being splattered with pig's blood in, in Alien, then, okay, you can really, I don't know, you can kind of empathize with them more, perhaps. I don't know. Hmm. I think probably smarter people than us have kind of analyzed this kind of stuff better. Um, but you know what we're getting at. I think so. I've, yeah. I've, I'm thinking um, just kind of a concluding thought for me is the, the stories that I find probably the most spooky in modern Doctor Who are more of the ones that are more of the scares. Like I would think like um, the Satan Pit with the Ood or with Toby or with Blink the, upon original viewing or with the Weeping Angels like in Time and Angels, that bit where we see Amy turning into stone. Then uh, things like the Crimson Horror, which are supposed to be horrific, I guess, or Sleep No More, which is really uh, kind of a hot mess of uh, ideas. Yeah, I, and I, I, I agree. I mean, I think something like Crimson Horror just, you know, it just tries too hard to be horrible and therefore kind of just fails, basically, even mm-hmm. though it's got all some great ingredients, just having the ingredients does not necessarily, you know, a horror a horror episode make. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, there you go. That's the, that's what we think. <laughs> <laughs> About horror and creepiness and uncanniness, etc., etc., in our favorite TV show. So I think next time, that kind of gives us an overview, a, a more detailed, in-depth discussion on where we're coming from when we're saying Doctor Who and horror and spooky Doctor Who, I think. And so so probably next time we'll delve into more specific stories and continue on with October Horror Month. The month of horror that is October. Yeah. Sound good? We'll do that. All right. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, This has been episode 129 of the Metabilis 2. I have been talking about horror with Ben. And I've been talking about horror with David. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, as a number 2, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's a number 2. Hope to hear from you. Bye.